Good evening. It's good to be here with you tonight. As we think of Delmers and Wendells and Johns and Travis, it gives a new sense of urgency and meaning, I think, to the subject of youth in the church. I was trying to sift through why we why we mourn or why we feel as we do when we know a child of God has gone home and there's not a doubt in my mind tonight. But I think it's our humanity and the, the shock and the finality and things like that that have us come together as a brotherhood and that is the beauty of the brotherhood. Some of you maybe didn't know him well, some did, and yet we can all come together under one God as a brotherhood in this way. Youth and the church. How many of you own a martyr's mirror? Raise your hand high. How many of you have read part of that martyr's mirror in the last month? About two of us. It would do us well. It would do us well to, to read that. If you would look in the martyr's mirror, there is a story of a 13-year-old boy who was called before the authorities because of his faith. And his answers that he gave the authorities would put most of us to shame. They questioned him, and as he answered, the guards around him pulled his arms out and grabbed his legs. And as they questioned him about his faith and him standing up for God, they chopped one arm off and threw it in the corner, asked him another question, chopped the other arm off, chopped his legs off, and finally his head. And I don't remember exactly how the story ended, if they were were thrown in the river or burned, but that young man, 13 years old, how many of you would have been able to do that at 13 years old? You don't need to raise your hand. It's a challenge. How many of you remember being, being youth? Sort of. Who are youth? And what is the role of youth in the church? Youth is a tricky thing to define. It's a period of life where they aren't children anymore, and yet we can't quite bring ourselves to give them full-blown adult status. There are young people who we give a little more free reign to. They begin to make their own decisions in life, And I remember that quite clearly. It wasn't very long ago. And I remember being quite confident in my decisions I was making then. And I have no doubt that my parents and some of you who knew me then were looking on, holding your breath and shaking your heads. 
It's a time of ideals, a time of questions. It's a time where the decisions of right and wrong are quite clear in some ways. Quite clear, and we can't understand why why some people are such a stick in the mud. It's very clear. But on the other hand, it's a time when when things are very big and complicated. It's a time of worrying about what people think of you. And it's a time where the decisions and the choices that you make will have a huge bearing on the rest of your life. So where does that category of people fit into the church? Who are youth and how do they fit into the church? I don't consider myself very far out of this category. So I can understand the dilemma that many of our youth find themselves in today. It's a dilemma I think we've created for them. The dilemma of where exactly do I fit? What's expected of me? As church leaders, and I assume parents... I I don't have any youth yet. But as church leaders, and I assume parents, it's a time of a lot of ups and downs, of being encouraged and maybe some despair and discouragement, a time of hope. But we can't put all young people in the same box. Some are well-adjusted to life, others are not. Some are respectful, some are not. Some are strong in their faith, some are not. Some are fine with who they are, and some are trying to find themselves. You have heard the phrase, and maybe you've used the phrase, that youth are the church of tomorrow, or youth are the future. And we say that, and we mean it to be encouraging. We mean it to be hopeful. But is it really? Is it encouraging to say that? What, are, what, do you, what do young people hear? We have some here tonight. What do they hear when we say, youth, you are the church of tomorrow? What I heard when I was there is, you'll be important someday, not today, but someday you will be. Dietrich Bonhoeffer And I know we don't subscribe to everything he says, but he got it right this time. He wrote an essay entitled Eight Theses on the Youth Work in the Church. And he says, The future of the church is not youth itself, but rather the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that, and we believe that. But it is a foundation that cannot be ignored It can't be taken for granted, and it can never be abandoned. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This passage was looked at briefly already through these meetings. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'll begin reading at verse 9. 
For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. I'll stop reading there. Our approach to working with and helping youth cannot be haphazard or half-hearted. Verse 11, For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is the foundation of the church. Other scriptures define him as the chief cornerstone. He's the bottom line. He's the basis for a building that is fitly framed together. Ephesians tells us that. Jesus Christ is the future of the church. Verse 12 says, Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, do you see the two different grades of building materials we have to work with? We have gold, silver, and precious stones, or we have wood, hay, and stubble. The only way we can build with gold, silver, and precious stones is if we dig for them. These are not building materials you can just pick up alongside the road. You have to dig for gold, silver, and precious stones. It means taking time it means getting your hands dirty. And if we're going to build up our young people using these quality building materials of gold, silver, and precious stones, it will take time and you will get your hands dirty. This is for parents. This is for ministry. This is for anybody who is building up anybody else in the church. These materials can only be found in a life that is attached to the character of Jesus Christ. These are the materials that will stand the test of time. What are we building our young people with? Anyone can come up with wood, hay, and stubble. That's easy. Anybody can do that. These wood, hay, and stubble, these are the pat answers that we give with very little understanding to what the young people are going through. This is the demands that we lay on them without any explanation. Wood, hay, and stubble is instruction given inconsistently. You can build with these building materials, but it will never last. Jesus Christ is the future of the church, and every bit of building that we do has to be done with gold, silver, and precious stones worthy of the foundation we're building on. There was an article written that had some interesting insights regarding youth being the future of the church. And the article says, we say youth are the future of the church, and it's said by well-meaning people with good motives. It's, it's meant well. But the article goes on to say, what we may be saying is this or it raises a question in the youth's mind. When we say they are the future of the church, many youth can't see themselves as an adult 
or, the, or at the stage of life that you and I are in. If they do, it's very different from what reality will be. It was for me. I imagine myself, I'm 34 years old. I imagine myself at 34, at this age, it's nothing like I imagined it. Nothing even close. I thought 34-year-olds were... Different. <laughs> for seven, for a seventeen-year-old, seventeen years is a lifetime. Do you know how long ago seventeen years was? Now here's where I sound old. You remember Y2K? You remember the Twin Towers? That was seventeen years ago. That doesn't seem like seventeen years ago. The young people that are coming to Maranatha Bible School first and second term this year will have no clue what that stuff is. They don't know. They don't remember it. So we say they're the future. What should they do in the meantime? We fail to provide a frame of reference for when the future becomes the present for them. If they're supposed to build up the church... What do they, when do they do it? When does the future become the present? Are they suddenly supposed to step into Christian maturity when the future arrives? The responsibility of the church is to build the kingdom of God. It is to live separate and holy lives. It's to study and apply scripture, to worship, to pray, to encourage I think we need to convey to our young people they don't need to wait to do these things. If they have accepted Christ and are living in repentance, they are the church today. They need to be part of the church today. Youth are uniquely equipped with a passion and an energy that I'm finding evades us as we grow older. The trick is to harness that and to, to tailor that energy into kingdom-building things, and that is our responsibility. I don't think we can expect them, or, or should expect them, to come up with these things on their own. Another thing that we might be saying by that is, when we say that, the, that youth are the future of the church, is indirectly we're saying, I'm afraid the church is going to die. That's what we portray and in a practical way, I can understand that. If you look around this room of leaders of the Midwest Fellowship, most, if not every one of the leaders here will not be here in 40 years. 40 years ago, there was another group of men. I don't think any are here tonight. They probably thought the same thing. This room has changed dramatically. And we wonder who will take our place as faithful ministers and bishops and deacons and missionaries and Sunday school teachers. 
Who will fill these spots? So when we say that the youth are the future of the church, sometimes I think it has more to do with anxiety. And the youth are viewed maybe as a beacon of hope or a promise of survival of the future. Another thing is, and I don't think we do it consciously, but youth make us look successful. Faithful youth in our churches make us look successful. We use our church members as a gauge of our success. But something we have to remember, as ministers of the gospel, we are not called to be successful. We're called to be faithful. We can't forget that. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, if you go up a few verses, I have planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, Youth enjoys no special privilege in the church community. Then he goes on, It is to serve the church community by hearing, learning, and practicing the word of God. God's spirit in the church has nothing to do with youthful criticism of the church. The radical nature of God's claim on human beings, nothing to do with youthful radicalism. And the commandment for sanctification, nothing to do with youthful impulse to better the world. That was wordy. The first statement he makes is, youth, enjoy no special, youth enjoys no special privilege in the church community. He clarifies it with these questions. He says, our question is not what is youth and what rights does it have, but rather what is the church community and what is the place of youth, youth within it? Do you see the difference? Now hear me carefully. Sometimes I'm afraid we stumble over ourselves catering to our youth in an attempt to make them feel special or in an attempt to retain them. When we do this, we raise up a weak generation of youth with a warped view of authority and the church by trying to make them feel special. This is where my youthful idealism may be shining through. At this point, this may be directed more to parents, but it certainly applies to church leaders as well. I have seen parents try to buy the commitment of their youth, buy their commitment to the church by rewards. I've seen young people whose parents have compromised a lot of things in their life in order to build a relationship with their young people. If you wait until your young people are 11, 12, 13 years old and think, boy, they're growing up, I need to start a relationship with them, you have missed it. It's too late. I recently read a quote, a humorous quote regarding Marriage at a young age. It says, those who get married at 19, it's like leaving the party at 9 o'clock. 
And we chuckle at that. But sometimes I wonder if we portray that to our young people a little bit. And we say, those of you who take the Christian life too seriously at too young of an age is like leaving the party at 9 o'clock. And we say things like, well, youth will be youth. What are we giving them a license to do when we say that? I've seen parents and probably church leaders turn a blind eye and excuse all kinds of things to avoid a confrontation that they fear will drive their young people away. I've seen parents and church leaders compare their youth with other youth to justify behavior. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. In here we find the account of <clears throat> the storm and Jesus walking on the water and he calls Peter to walk to him on the water. Matthew chapter 14, verse 30 and 31. This is towards the end of the story. Jesus had just told Peter to come. And in verse 30, this is Peter now, but when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore dost thou doubt? There is a difference between allowing room for growth in the life of a Christian and excusing wrong. There's a big difference. But pretty often, I'm afraid we put them together. We need to have grace and mercy and understanding. We need to allow room for growth, but that grace, mercy, and understanding needs to be coupled with a concern and we need to have the courage to address wrongdoing. And it can be done in a way that, that won't drive somebody away. Youth can be a troubling time. I've seen it and you've seen it. Young people going through tremendous storms in life Waves higher than they can see over. Winds blowing at them stronger than you can imagine. In families and in churches and in relationships. It's a stormy time. My mind was drawn to this also as I consider Delmer and Karen and Wendell's and John and Travis and the family. They're facing storms right now. And then you notice what, what Jesus says as, as Peter starts to sink. And I don't know. They're, they're strong brethren, but I'm, I'm sure they're starting to sink. And Jesus said, why did you doubt? He said, Wherefore, why did you doubt? He reaches out and he picks him up. He says, why did you doubt? And I'm not sure whose side to be on here. Do we be on Peter's side or do we be on Jesus' side? Because when you think about what he's going through, it's really a, not a great question. 
If, if I was Peter, I, I might be tempted to say, well, look at what I'm facing. Look at these waves. Look at this wind. Why am I doubting? But then look at who's asking the question. And it isn't, it isn't such a silly question. If we know who Jesus is, we don't need to doubt. Sorry, I lost a page of my notes here. I was thinking of some of the waves that youth find themselves in. I thought of my youth when I was 13, 14, up to 20, 21. Some of the waves that I found myself in. A fear of what people will think. The waves of relationship issues. Knowing God's will. The waves of a lack of vision. Lack of ambition. Discouragement. And you could probably think of other storms that youth you know. Or maybe storms you went through as a youth. But look here in Matthew 14 verse 31. Peter, or for my illustration here, youth, are going through a storm and they're sinking. It says, Jesus immediately stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And what I see Jesus doing here is reaching down, just reaching down. He's on firm footing on the water. But Jesus reaching down in love and compassion, gently and calmly, with maybe a hint of disappointment, but not enough to crush Peter. He reaches down and he says, why did you doubt? He, it wasn't in a condemning way at all. Jesus has the perfect balance of giving us what we need and not what we deserve. And I'm so thankful for that. My prayer is that that can be our example as we work with young people that are facing these storms and as they, they begin sinking through the waves that we can reach down and we can lift them up like that and we can say, why were you doubting? And we can help them, not in a condemning way, but gently and calmly. And it's all right to express disappointment and concern, but not in a way that will crush them. Paul Washer said this, young people don't need self-esteem, they need the knowledge of God. Young people don't need self-esteem, they need the knowledge of God. And I believe that is the answer. If we can instill the knowledge of God in our young people, we have done them the greatest service ever. So what do you want in your young people? Those of you who are parents that have youth, church leaders, what do you want in your young people? Do you want... You know what you should say, but what do you really want? A comfortable living? Financial security? Socially fitting in well? 
And you're thinking, you're thinking, no, that's not what we want. But deep down, what are you thinking? Do you want your 13-year-old to be able to stand before those authorities and get his limbs lopped off and hold his faith? Is that what you want for your young people? We say, no, you don't want that. What do you want for your young people? What do you want for your youth? We want youth that can stand tall. That don't have to cave into the the fads of even our own little Mennonite culture. We want youth that can stand tall, that don't need to wear skinny jeans or an Aeropostle hoodie to find security. We want young people filled with the knowledge of God. That will fill every void that they will have. That is what we want. And if that means being hauled in front of the authorities and having their limbs hacked off, then that's what it is. The gulf between godly youth and worldly youth is getting greater and greater and greater. And I know you're not youth here tonight, but why do we try to bring that closer together? We have to stop doing that. First Timothy 4.12, familiar verse. You don't need to turn there. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation in charity and spirit and faith and purity. That was the first verse I thought of when I thought of this topic, youth in the church. But I don't believe that's speaking to, directly to youth. Paul's talking to Timothy and it's relative to his age. Timothy was probably my age, which many of you would say is youth. But he's saying, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example. I don't think it's wrong to apply it to the youth in our church. But I'm going to apply it to all of us tonight. Because relatively speaking, you are youth to someone. Let no man despise your youth, but be an example. Be an example. Instilling the knowledge of God through example is done, or it's done in two ways. It's done by word, or it's done by example. And you know this, but if your words and your example don't match up, you may as well save your breath because people are going to watch what you do. Several years ago, and this isn't directly related to youth, but I think it, it could apply. Several years ago, my wife taught me the most important lesson I have ever learned probably as a father. I was, I had put the boys to bed, tucked them in like a good dad, went back downstairs, and somebody hollered they needed something. So I went up, fixed the problem, came back down, and after about the third time of this happening, I was getting apparently visibly frustrated, and I was ready to go up and lay down the law. And I don't know what I looked like. I, I'm not given to anger. Um, but apparently it was enough that my wife recognized something. And as I started up, she called me back and she said, 
remember you are demonstrating God to your boys. And I don't think I will I don't think I'll forget that. They had no concept of who God was. I was their concept of who God is. And my example of how I was helping them with their need, I didn't see it as a need, but it was real to them. They probably needed a drink or something. I don't know. Maybe they were afraid of something. But I was demonstrating God to them. And something we have to realize, I know this isn't child training, but something we need to realize is the way our youth will view God is the way they view their father. It has a huge bearing on how they view God. And in the few years I've worked here at Maranatha, I have seen young people come through these doors that amaze me. Their, their stability, their spiritual common sense I'm not even sure how to define that. Their spiritual common sense, their calm grasp on what is truly important in life. There have been young people that I look at and say, that is what I wish I would have been like when I was that age. I'd like to close with just a few practical ways that we as a ministry can encourage our youth, make them feel and help them to know that they are a part of the church now. First thing is, encourage them to take part. Give responsibilities, even, even to young men. Give responsibilities to them. Small responsibility at first, then as they become more comfortable and grow, then more and more responsibility. Explain your expectations to them. An example of that is how long a topic or a devotion should be. Explain how many songs should be led. Explain or give some tips for a springboard for topics or devotions. Recommend study resources to them other than Google. I have seen this, that the failure to explain our expectations to our young people will result in them following the lowest common denominator. So be clear with what your expectations are. Encourage them to be thoughtful and put effort into their responsibilities. And then commend them. Thank them afterwards. Encourage them. Show interest in their plans. If they show interest in missions or VS work somewhere, encourage them in that. If they don't show interest in them, encourage them to. Encourage them to attend Bible school. Voluntary service. If there's concerns about their plans, if there's concerns about the direction they're pouring their energy, explain why. When you do that, when you explain your concern, make sure it's a legitimate concern and not simply, I call it a religious irritation. Make sure it's legitimate, that there is a concern, not just an irritation. My prayer tonight is that we, as church leaders and parents and grandparents, could equip the youth, could equip young people 
to be youth that will stand tall, that will have, have what they need when we're gone, that they will have the principles and the equipment that they need to carry on the work of the kingdom. There's a reading that maybe some of you have heard. I've adapted it for youth, and I will close with that. The greatest want in the world is the want of godly youth. Youth who will not be bought or sold. Youth who in their innermost souls are true and honest. Youth who will not fear to call sin by its right name. Youth whose conscience is as true to godly duty as a needle to the pole. Youth who will stand for the right though the heavens fall.